right, guys, welcome to the Bearsy Podcast. Today is episode 53 with my friend Josh from the Beneath the Surface YouTube channel. Josh is a content creator who I've been wanting to have on the podcast since January 2022. I don't know if you remember that. So uh, mm. thanks for coming on the podcast, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. At the time, you know, I'll be honest with you, Derek, I had been doing business oriented podcasts, uh, marketing type stuff, and I got burned out. I'm like, I, I really don't like those. I don't I don't like what people are doing out there with them. And it just wasn't helping me. So I'm like, uh, but as the channel progressed, um, I had something different to say. And so the whole scope of doing something like this changed. Uh, and so you coming back and asking me, do you want to do it? What a year plus later, it suddenly made yeah. a lot of sense. So here we are. I, I don't feel the, the, as I did before. <laughs> hmm. Let me, let me give a little context to the relationship that we have. So I think in the middle of January, 2022, I got an email from you completely out of the blue. I remember you would comment on some of my videos from, from time to time. And then you messaged me saying, Hey, Derek, I started a YouTube channel and you sent me a link to your video and I would love for you to check it out. And I was like, Oh, cool. This is awesome. And then I clicked the link and I believe you had 14 subscribers at the time. Yeah. But the quality of the video for the first video of a channel was nowhere near like a 14 subscriber channel. We're talking about like super high picture quality, cinematics, visuals, storytelling, like amazing, amazing stuff for the first video on your channel. And I was like, wow, this is this is incredible. And so for anyone that is wondering um, the type of content you make, you were originally moving from, I believe, Portland, Oregon, and you went to Portugal and eventually ended up in France. Is that correct? Right, right. That's the trajectory. Yeah, yeah. The first video you saw, which was the first video on the channel, was the trip I took with Nathan, my son Nathan, uh, to Iceland. And so he, actually, there's a whole backstory that I could tell about how I even know you to begin with, that I'm, you might be curious. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... You did something on Nathan, Nathaniel Drew, being gone for 30 days a couple of years ago. I don't know if that video is still on your channel. I couldn't find it, but I don't know if, you, if you've if you taken uh, it. It's still there. It's an old it's, one. It's probably, yeah. Um, and so my younger son, Skyler, and you might know who he is. He's done a lot of the animation work for Nathan, um, noticed that video and commented it or about it to the family. And so I went and I checked it out. And I'm like, oh, how cool is that? Right. And, you know, I just, I felt your energy right at that moment. Like, wow, this guy is just expressing his appreciation for this person and what it's like to not have them around for a month. And I left a comment. I remember leaving a comment. I, remember, I don't remember what I said. And so um, I think I would check out your channel from time to time. And then fast forward to me publishing and wanting to get some views initially. And so I reached out to you um, and I said, hey, check it out. I was sort of doing outreach to anybody I could, people I knew. Uh, and uh, that sort of triggered uh, this sort of email relationship. And then you would show up and leave some nice comments to my videos. And I don't know, just, you know, one thing led to another and here we are. So thought you might. Well, that, that's super cool. Take one of those details. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I do follow both of your son's work. Um, your uh, Sky's channel is Skymography, I believe. Skymography, like he right. has a super amazing like digital animation, like Adobe After Effects stuff, like super super cool. Because I'm really into that too, even though, but I kind of suck. The the funny thing about that video was when when I was starting YouTube, I really struggled because I felt that in order to be successful on YouTube, you had to have this extremely energetic. Um, extroverted personality where you're like high energy and you're talking to the camera and you're like, Hey, what's up guys? Welcome to my YouTube channel. They're like, And that personality for me is very fake because I am more mundane. I don't have a super exciting voice. You know, I'm, I'm kind of dull in a sense in the way that I speak. And so when I found your, your son, Nathan's channel, it, it was very refreshing to me because I, I saw this guy who sort of was just who he was. He didn't have that Logan Paul, like Jake Paul, like personality, like where they're like sort of bleeding this like fake, I don't, I don't know what you, what you call it. I know that type of personality gets you views and clicks. Yes. And so your yeah. son had this channel that did the complete opposite to that. And that's what I, I really respected. And he made a video, like you said, you know, taking a break for 30 days. And I noticed there's all these people in his comment section like, oh, no, don't go. You know, we miss you. Like the YouTube algorithm is, is going to crush your channel if you leave. And right. I was like, huh, that, that's that's sort of interesting. But I also wanted to, again, I was very appreciative of his channel because it helped me just accept my own authentic voice. I didn't have to have this fake persona every time I was on camera. Right, right. Right. And, you know, by the way, I want to I want to say that you don't have a dull, boring voice. The way I would describe you, <laughs> you, feel, you feel very grounded. You have a soothing voice. You're someone that actually carries very well in front of the camera in a way that I struggle with. OK. Um, and you seem natural. You seem um, you engage. You engage with that natural sort of grounding energy. So. Uh, that's my feedback to you. And, you know, for me, for my channel, it's like, I, I also don't strive to be this, you know, high energy, anybody, because I'm not, you know, I'm this sort of oddball on YouTube. I'm this guy in his fifties, you know, I'm not into big, big effects. I'm not into being loud. It's, that's not me anymore, you know? And so, um, it, it just goes back to be yourself, right? If you're going to put out any content, just be yourself. Let that be your authentic presentation to the world. And uh, you can be successful. You don't have to do what others are doing. And yes, you know, the sort of hyped up stuff does get views. Yes, these people make a lot of money because they're wacky. They're getting attention. But if that's not authentic to you, then it doesn't really matter. You know, so my take on content. <laughs> you know what else, too, I've noticed that whenever you build a tribe of people, especially your subscribers, they're really good at sniffing out bullshit and they can really tell when you're being fake and inauthentic. And I sort of, I really noticed that. And I had a couple friends and subscribers sort of call me out on a couple of videos where I was becoming robotic. I have this sort of attachment for my camera lens where it's this like diagonal mirror. So it acts as like a teleprompter. And I can put my phone like like this below the lens, and I have this script, like just like a teleprompter appearing 
um, right, right. Whenever I'm recording a YouTube video, uh, I received some feedback from some friends about this sort of robotic way that I was creating videos. And what was happening was I would write out a full script, like a four page script for a YouTube video. And then I'd read it off the teleprompter sentence for sentence. And it was sort of like my perfectionism coming out because I wanted to make the most polished, mistake-free YouTube video possible. And I didn't want to have any of these mess ups of like the ums and the uhs and the likes in you know, those sort of filler words you have in your sentences when you don't know what to say. And the problem with doing that is that people really noticed that I was being inauthentic. And I feel like one of the best things for YouTube is just sharing your authentic self. And this is sort of a perfect segue into a question that I wanted to ask you. I don't know if you remember this, but in the very first email you sent me, you said you were trying to overcome the fear and exhilaration of posting your first YouTube video. So what does that feeling feel like now that, that you finally conquered that and got the channel started? Um, I, it, it's always exciting to post. I would say there's always an excitement around, we all wonder how's the next video gonna do? Um, I've had a few very successful videos, very unexpectedly, because you can't predict what's gonna happen. I hit some spots for my age group, and what have you that just sort of clicked for people. And so that was great. But now every video I publish, there's a big question mark. Like, you know, is this, uh, is this going to be a, 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 you know, get a good number of views? Is the sponsor going to be happy? Cause I'm getting sponsors now. There's kind of that anxiety around it a little bit. Um, I am still, <laughs> I'm still a nervous wreck in front of the camera. I don't, uh, I don't love the day when, when I have to record. I'm also somebody who will script out everything because that's how I get my thoughts together. I don't use a teleprompter because that does trip me up and make me sound too stiff. But, you know, I, I do pull the lines from the script and I'm delivering them as either voiceover or on camera. And it, but you can see the difference between me presenting and me when I'm vlogging and I've got my phone and I'm just on the spot, you know, talking because I'm talking freely. So um, I've decided not to make a big deal out of it. It's who I am. It's where I'm at right now. I mean, Nathan tells me that years ago for him, you know, if you look at his work early on, he was also very caught up on a serious delivery on camera and getting it right. And, and then Fast forward to now, he's like smiling all the time. He says, pretend you're talking to someone and I've tried it, but it's still tough for me to sound, you know, as natural as I would like. But, you know, I don't, like I say, I'm, I don't let that be a, be a big deal. I try to be through my script and what I'm saying and what I'm showing, be as real as I can. And I think that comes through. And uh, in the end, you know, it, it, like you say, if you're being as authentic as you can about what you're doing, then it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to be this perfect presenter person. Uh, but of course, yeah, when if if you're tied to a script and you're trying to read it word for word and deliver it in a way that's unnatural, then that, yeah, that, that can definitely get in the way. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, especially if you come from like a filmmaking videography type of background, there's this 
level of quality that you want to put out in your work. But at the end of the day, I sort of forget that, you know, it's YouTube and it's just like a YouTube video. It doesn't have to be this perfectly polished cinematic movie theater type video every upload. But, you know, I think that sometimes I sort of forget that. But now that you are in sort of like a rhythm and you've been posting a couple of videos, another question I sort of wanted to ask you was, um, how are you with dealing with criticism and negativity, especially in the comment section when it comes to being a YouTube creator? Um, you know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier. Uh, it's, it, it's actually, how do I say this? It's, a, it's quite a topic, isn't it? Um, people out there in the world, I mean, in social media, you can say things that you would normally not say in normal social settings, right? Social media is not very social. Uh, in 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 the sense of how we normally relate to each other, right? And so um, there's a lot of freedom for those who are. Um, how do I say this? Those who have a lot to say that is not positive, right? They're gonna they're gonna lay it on the table because it's safe. It's safe to say nasty things from behind your keyboard at home, right? And so how does it affect me? I mean, it's, I don't like seeing it. I mean, who does? Uh, and so what I have to do is I have to limit my exposure in the end to comments. Uh, like I was telling you earlier, in the beginning few days or week, comments can be very positive. It's the people that uh, typically follow you, those who are interested in your topic. As time goes on, I've seen comments deteriorate to the point where you're like, wow, it's like people can get really mean. And, uh, and I, I don't need that energy. I don't, I don't need to expose myself the way that if I'm on the street or dealing with someone, I'm not going to take verbal abuse. You know, what you do is you walk away. So the way to do it on the internet in, in any kind of exchange scenario uh, is uh, you have to be careful how much you're consuming it. I do it for a few days when I post because I want to incentivize the algorithm, right, to show engagement. But like I was telling you, after two, three, maybe four days, I cut out. And part of me is dying to know how the video is doing, right? You want to know, you want to see stats. But I have to hold myself back and say, look, at the end, any kind of tracking is unhealthy, really. Um, and what you're doing is you're trying to feed off good news, right? You want to see numbers go up. You want to see that people love you. And, uh, you know, you're feeding your ego in a way that's, that's so unhealthy. So it's been a matter of personal practice to be as good as possible to not look at anything between videos. After those initial few days, not to look again. So, but the impact as a person yeah, of course it gets you. It's like you want you want everyone to love you. And when they get mean, people can get extra mean. And uh, it's like, wow, people have that capacity to get really nasty online, you know? Yeah, I think this is an incredibly important topic to talk about because I've had a bunch of YouTubers on my podcast who are a lot younger than me and you, you know, like 19, even one guy that was like 16, I think, 20, 21, mm -hmm. like, you know, young YouTube is a, generally a young person's game, right? 
And the common problem that a lot of them have is dealing with negativity and these toxic comments that you get in, in on YouTube videos. And luckily for me, I, I'm someone who has received criticism generally my entire life, whether it was dropping out of school or starting a business or just my whole path, my whole trajectory in life has been full of criticism, especially from people that I love. And so I've sort of developed this very thick skin when it comes to YouTube comments. And it's one aspect that doesn't really bother me too much, but I definitely think it's important to talk about because I know there's a plethora of content creators and people out there who are, who are struggling with this issue. And generally I heard a great piece of advice from Joe Rogan once, and he said, what you want to do is just post and ghost. And if you don't see it, it's not going to bring your mood down in any way. But the problem with that is you also want to build up your tribe of people and connect with them in an, in an authentic way. And replying to their comment and clicking that heart button, you know, it makes a lot of people feel good. So it's sort of like this strange balance that you're trying to play, right? Like you, you want to build up your audience. You want to be supportive of them taking time out of their day to leave a comment for you. But also you don't want to be in there too long where, where it affects your net, your mental health. And all of a sudden you spiral out of control into like sadness or depression or anxiety, where now you're, you're like one of those thumb warriors where you're battling people in the comment section all day, because that's not healthy. It's not a healthy way to live. So I think this this top is, topic is extremely important for maybe a couple older guys like me and you to, to sort of talk mm -hmm. about and maybe offer some tips up to the younger generation. Because I know, especially with social media, like imagine being like a 19, 20, 21 year old adolescent, like going through the world and you have to deal with this type of stuff. I know my younger self, I probably would have went crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, it's quite a thing. Uh, you know, it has to do with, with our society consuming ravenously. I mean, there's a way that we just want to eat every, everything so accessible. We just want to eat it in large quantities. And it's so easy to, to be mindless about it because you're not paying attention to those potato chips that you're sticking in your face to uh, the kind of things that you're putting into your head, right? That are that are there. I mean, you know, I work with somebody. I've talked about therapy. Um, I, I work on a weekly basis and and do a lot of work on myself, my internal self, on it for years now. And you know, he tells me, he reminds me uh, that before bedtime, it's so important to be mindful of what you're putting in your head. Like, what are the last things you're doing? before you go to sleep? Are you on your phone? Are you scrolling through crap? Are you watching TV? Or are you taking in maybe a book that is uh, something spiritual or something soothing, something grounding? Are you listening to quieting music? And so I have to remind myself to do that, you know, as often as possible before I go to bed, because you take that with you, that affects your sleep. And that's what you wake up with. And so it's really interesting how, um, you know, for young people now, it's the way to keep up with stuff and to connect. And it's so alluring. It's so uh, uh, tempting that it feels inescapable. It's not. You just have to know yourself and you have to be good at not letting it control you. And it's going to get worse. If we get on the topic of AI, 
if you'd like, it's going to get worse. Yeah, man, I, I'm seeing like the AI artificial intelligence thing everywhere. And I know you're sort of in the real estate game right now as you've been moving, but I'm someone who is always looking into real estate, you know, what's property values like, where can I live? Should I move? Should I buy? Should I sell? And now over here in Canada, every single posting in real estate is generated by AI. And you can tell because at the bottom of each listing, if you scroll down to the bottom, it says powered by chat GPT. And that mm -hmm. little description, which sort of talks about the property and what's nice, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, that's all generated by AI now. Like the, our real estate agents, they don't even type up like, oh, very spacious, uh, three bedroom, three bath, semi-detached home in the heart of blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't do that anymore. You have this very, very scripted, very AI generated message that it's almost like a robot now and everything is becoming robotic. And I, I'm sort of conflicted on the AI thing because it's taking over a lot of video editing jobs, which is mm. sort of a space that I'm in or, or used to mm. be in. And I remember watching a video the other day of this AI take like a one hour podcast and chop it up in like 45 seconds. It, it switched all the camera angles and it just like, it worked on the Adobe timeline in like less than a minute and it had the whole thing done where I'm like, wow, if I were to edit a podcast like that, it takes me over an hour to switch between cameras and cut out stuff like, you know, cut out the footage or cut out the white noise. And so the AI thing is something that I am very aware of, but also it, I think it's a technology that's here to stay. And I think the wrong decision would be to write it off entirely. And I'm sort of trying to figure out ways, how can I use it? How can it help me in some way? Can it help me save time on, you know, making YouTube videos or editing? So I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I'm, I'm still conflicted on the whole AI, AI thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely uh, becoming a serious part of our lives. Um, I heard about that tool to help you edit podcasts. It's pretty insane. Um, I just think it's going to be in our lives in so many different ways. And it's, you know, what, what I was alluding to before, that's a little bit scary because there are some seriously scary aspects to AI that we don't even understand yet. Uh, and that is the understanding of data points and of people's particular ways of being so that it can present to you precisely what's going to sell to you. Um, you know, I know you've done a lot around gambling and one example that, uh, that I, I think I saw it on, there's a documentary called Coded Bias. I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, uh, but it talks about from a few years ago, it talks about the impact of AI coded bias. Um, I think it was, they were the ones who were talking about as an example people who have a tendency to gamble, right? They're going to show you in the perfect fashion. AI will present to you, uh, you know, the, the, the appeal repeatedly in just the right way that's going to have to, you know, to, 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 that will make people, uh, uh, you know, be weak around, you know, the, those points uh, in their personality that could be affected and penetrated the most. And, uh, and, and so if, again, if you don't know yourself, if you're not in, in charge of you and you know what is going on in you and working on you, then that external AI will have 
all the influence in the world. And that scares me for young people and, and for people in general. You know, it's going to be uh, something that uh, is really going to challenge humanity. <laughs> mm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen Coded Bias. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. But speaking of Netflix, this is something, and it's, this is related to gambling as well. I used to have all these horrible habits, and it's sort of part part of my niche or main idea of my channel is try to remove all these negative habits from your life, like the whole self-improvement thing. But speaking of Netflix, Netflix is something that I used to watch every single night, and now I've completely removed from my life. Do you have any tips or advice when it comes to balancing your work life with your family life? Um, that's a good question. Um, trying to think of what what do we do that that, that works for us? Um, you know, life is so different for us now on the road, the way we've been living, even now, um, you know, and I don't want to give too much away, but, you know, finding our future home, you know, we're, we're in transition. We're constantly in transition and you have to make life work for you the best you can. Um, but I would say that, you know, How do I say this? Okay, you, you just hit me with a with a complex question here. Um, I I think when we are in touch with each other, uh, when we are in a conversation, say a, a FaceTime call with either of the boys, or you know, we see Nathan a lot more now that we're close to Paris, right? Back and forth. Um, you know, we've done trips together, get togethers for like the holidays in Paris. Um, we make those things really count. And so when you're, when we're connecting as a family and different combinations of people, it, it just, it's quality time. Uh, and, and so that aspect of things is treated in a, in a very open and, and sort of serious and important way, meaning that we value that time with each other very much. Um, other than that, uh, if I'm looking at components in my life, there's work, you know, the YouTube channel has become work that I have to attend to. And, and there's now the pressure of publishing every month. There's the pressure of getting a nice promo spot for a sponsor and, and all these things, all these elements of running the channel and whatnot, you, you know, it from all the work you're doing. Um, so, Work is work, and sometimes the problem is work can blend into like the evening, into the weekend. You don't, you know, I tend to not define my work days very well. Uh, but what happens is also on a daily basis, I try to stop a couple times a day and sit quietly. Um, it's not, um, not in the way of a meditation necessarily, like I used to do years ago, but it's sitting with myself, sitting, connecting to my body, connecting to how I feel. Um, my weekly sessions in therapy are really important to me. They're a, re a way to reorient on a weekly basis with the support of my therapist. But those stopping points during the day are really important. Um, and, um, you know, there's that going on 
uh, all the time. Every few days, we realize we've, if we've been cooped up too much, let's go for a walk. Let's get out of here. Let's go grab a bite, right? And so I think to answer your question, the best way I would say it is there's a constant assessment for what, where we are, right? If we haven't, uh, if I haven't t- talked to one of my sons, okay, I try to rectify that. If I haven't been sitting enough quietly, I get that back on track. If we haven't been out to do something fun, then that gets looked at. It's not like there's a, a, a set routine, which is hard to maintain on the road. And I hope to do that in our future home. Uh, but a constant, like I talk in my latest video, uh, a constant sort of getting back on the path, if you will. That's been my best way to sort of stay balanced because it's so easy as a human being, especially with all the stuff we've been talking about, uh, to get distracted, to get off balance. And so it's incumbent on you to find ways to bring it back. And my therapist has said, which is it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point. It comes from uh, a guru, and I can't remember who the guru was, but he said the most important thing when you're sitting in a meditation is the majority of it is getting your butt on the chair. Okay, you've conquered so much by sitting down and spending time with yourself. And then the next best thing you can do in any kind of quiet sitting is to bring yourself back, your attention back to what you're doing because you're going to veer off, right? And so uh, as I answer your question, I'm realizing that that's what I do. I've been doing it for years. And that to me, in the end, is the best thing because if you get into a locked sort of disciplined process, I know that for myself, I'll break it. Somehow I'll do it for a while and then it'll just get wonky. I'll stop doing something. Or if we take off uh, to Paris for a few days and I come back, suddenly I'm off, right? Routines get broken. And so it becomes that sort of muscle of how do I get back into what's best for me over and over again? Mm, That's a good point. I like that getting your butt on the chair is like, that's like the main thing. It, it, this is an important topic, important topic for me because, especially when it comes to being a content creator or an entrepreneur or starting any type of business, generally there is this passion for your work. And this is what I'm very guilty of is that I absolutely love my work. If I take a vacation day from my day job, all I want to do is work on my business, work on my YouTube channel work on my newsletter or whatever it is, do something creative. However, at the same time, there is this balancing act that I have to play with my work life and my family life. And I really try to have this open mind and perspective. And I try to look up to people who have been where I'm at. So say, for example, you have two kids who are in their 20s, I believe. And I have a daughter who's three and a half and a son who is 10 months. And so I am trying my hardest to work as hard as I can, be as disciplined as I can and build up this business so that my family can prosper and I can be home and spend time with them. Also, there's a double-edged sword there where if I work too much, then I'm not spending any time with them at all. And then they get neglected. And so when you work a normal job, like a normal nine to five, it's like you leave for the office, you drive, you go to work, you come home and, oh, dad's home at 530 or six or whatever it may be. Now you have until six until whatever time to spend time with your family. Whereas when you're doing this content creation stuff, there is no 
set schedule and work can come and go. And, and it's sort of like all over the place. And so I always struggle to set boundaries between my work and my family life, family life, because that's incredibly important for me. And I had this massive epiphany this past weekend when I went on this trip out west to the mountains with my parents, my wife and my two kids. And I sort of like just disconnected from my work altogether. My dad asked me, oh, are you going to bring your laptop so we can like edit our footage as we go? I'm like, no, no, dad, I'm, I'm not going to bring. I'm just going to bring my camera and my phone because I need to. And that's it. I'm going to leave all my work at home. And so I had a full week to just enjoy family time. And it was incredibly refreshing for me. And it was also alarming because I realized that how much time I, I spend in, into my work. Like I'm always, there's no days off for me. If I have like a free Saturday afternoon, there's no like Netflix or video games or playing back. Like there's none of that. It's, it's editing. It's writing a script. It's video ideas. It's making a thumbnail, right? It's recording a podcast, mm -hmm. doing a live stream, making a YouTube short. Like there's a plethora of responsibilities that I have on my plate as, as a content creator. And I feel like you can get lost in that. You, you could really lose your mind in the madness when it comes to all this stuff, especially when it comes to like the analytics. And, and I know, you know, and I know that you probably can resonate with this as well. Like you look into the analytics tab, you see a, a video that you've made that's doing poorly. It's not getting the views or the traction that you think it deserves. And you're like, Hey, you know, what's going on here? And it mm -hmm. affects your negative, your mental health in a negative way. And the thing that I don't like about YouTube is that it doesn't reward high quality content. And I think this applies to you, if I'm being honest, like you'll have this masterpiece of a video that takes you six weeks to make and it won't get the views it deserves. Whereas someone else could, like for me, I can make some random video off the cuff that I record in one shot, takes me 15 minutes and it could just like blow up. And I've spent such like no time at, or effort at all into this video. But if, it, if it's engaging and the YouTube algorithm likes it, it it can't figure out what is high quality content or not. And it just pushes right. whatever, right? And I sort of right. I, I sort of hate that about YouTube because it, it affects my work life and my family life. And I'm always trying to find ways to balance them and keep them in harmony, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so a couple of things about that. I, I think it's all about consciousness and awareness. I mean, let, let's get down to some, some real basics, right? If you, if you are mainly when you have time, time off or what have you focused on your channel or your content, then that's where your direction is going, right? Um, I don't know how well you're balancing work and family, but I know that when I don't get enough time with my wife or with my kids or even my parents. I don't have the best, you know, like weekly, daily, you know, relationship with my parents, but we talk once a month, you know, I call and sometimes Cecilia will join me and it's these lovely, you know, conversations, but they happen once a month. So what I'm trying to say is that if you maintain for anybody now, content creators and whoever, a constant awareness that of the things that matter to you, then you're going to give them proper attention. So, you know, sitting down to a meal twice a day 
is is important to us. And Cecilia cooks a lot. I'm very lucky. I've talked about this before. Um, whether it's at home or we're going out to eat, um, you know, sitting down and having a quality time together where you're having some nice conversation is important. That's part of the daily life, right? And so the same thing when I haven't talked to, to one of my boys for a few days, you know, if there's a consciousness or an awareness around, well, we need to connect. So if they don't call, then I'll make the call or what have you, right? And I, again, I think that's the way to kind of deal with this work, fun, family, all these different aspects, self, self-care, right? You just have to constantly be aware of these things that are important to you. And, and by doing that, you're going to find ways to f- find room in your life for them, right? Um, you, you had said something about content creation. Um, I don't know. I had something else to say, but I, I'll leave it at that for now. The fact that consciousness, I think it, it, when, when, when it comes to tracking videos, I just remembered when it comes to um, a video not performing um, or or gosh, I put so much time into something and others are doing this crappy, uh, you know, lower quality, just uh, what shock value type content. And they're, it, 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 you need to have awareness around what you're doing, right? If you're doing it for the love of creating stuff that you love to do, which has to be a focus for me because I put endless hours into this stuff. If I'm proud of the piece I'm putting out, if a lot of love and, and care and attention uh, went into it, that's satisfying aspect number one. You know, um, the rest, luckily, a lot of these videos have done well. Luckily, I get to make some money off of them. That's a lot of the icing on the cake, you know. But at the core of it, if you're not happy uh, producing content, anything that you're doing, a job, anything, quit that thing. Just get out of there. Go find what fulfills you because that thing is what's going to keep you going when the views aren't showing up or, or what have you, right? It's, you got to love what you're doing. And, and I got to say for years, I wasn't doing that. I had my own business. Uh, I've been self-employed for a long time. And even then from one company of mine to the next, things stopped being satisfying. I was letting others be creative or the work I was doing was not satisfying to me. I'm telling you, finally now, what I'm doing now is the most satisfying because I took a love of creating family videos and thanks to Nathan too, who pushed me. He said, do that for the world out there. Put it on a channel. Tell your stories, not just for us in the family of our trip to the UK or whatever. Tell the world these stories. And I did. And it was this brilliant transition into a space that is not uh, without its problems, without its, you know, its mean comments, without all the things that get into your head. But it's a it's an amazing way to be creative. And I've found a way to just be fully expressive that way. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it, it's like a tough, it's, it's a tough game to play also, because I tell I have these conversations with my friends who don't make content. And I talk about like the struggles that I'm going through with my channel, and they can't relate at all they have no conceptualization of like what i'm what i'm saying or the struggles that i go through with analytics but what what is interesting is that the reason that i like to talk about this sort of 
balance between family life and, and work life is also because as a father, I am trying to create something or I'm trying to become a person that my children will be proud of. And I'm sure that most dads in the world go through the same phase as well. It's like you, you want your children to look up to you. You want to be proud of dad. You want, you know, them, you want to see, <clears throat> you want to be a hero to them. And I've had this relationship with my father my entire life. And I'm incredibly fortunate in this regard because my dad was someone who is incredibly creative. He was a painter and a photographer, but he is colorblind. So he had this clear disadvantage when it came to his work. So he wasn't able to pursue it professionally. And so his way of art was he made a profession switch into culinary because, you know, food at the highest level is a form of art. There is colors, there is plating, there is design, like there's all this creative elements that go into making food. And so it's interesting because I've gone down this creative path, not really knowing that he was into the arts really. Like I knew he painted some pictures and I have some right here behind me, this forest right here is a picture my dad took and then he painted, which is incredible. But it's rekindled this love of this bond that we have, this father-son relationship. And especially when we went, up, we went out on our trip, he was practicing his photography with his Fuji, his X-T3, I think is what he has. Uh, okay. And I yeah. was practicing my videography with my Sony. And it's cool because there is this bond, this father-son bond, right? And I know that you can totally relate to this, especially with your, I think it was Iceland trip uh, with mm -hmm. Nathan. I, I watched the video. It was super cool. And you guys were you have this father-son relationship, this bond where you're practicing your creativity, you're you're expressing your your passions in life, and you're doing, you're sharing this moment in time with this activity that you guys absolutely love. And, and I can see like the passion oozing out of you. And I think this is incredibly important because I get a lot of messages from young men who don't have father figures in their life or didn't grow up with a father or are lacking a, a male figure or a hero or something like that. And I, I want to be that for, for my children. And it's hard because there is no guide uh, on how to be a good dad. There's no path laid out in front of me. There's no 10 step process that I can follow to be a good right. father to my son or be a good dad to my daughter. And so it's like, this is why I always seek out people that have like kind of been there, done that. And so I guess the question that I'm sort of alluding to is, do you have any advice for, for someone like me who is a struggling father who is trying to balance my work, balance my life, but also, you know, become a man that my kids would look, look up to? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I so appreciate that you're looking at it. You know, it starts with wanting to know uh, more about it. Like, what can I do? You know, what, 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 how can I be my best self in the end? Right. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, you, it, you have a day job or are you home a lot? What is your situation like? Um, so I have a day job where I work Monday to Friday. I do about 25 hours a week. And then okay. the videography, YouTube content creation stuff, I do about 35 hours a week. Okay. Well, you know, the fact that you're 
home a lot, right? You're not stuck in an office 50, 60 hours a week, um, you know, makes a huge difference. I mean, when the kids were little, uh, we were, I mean, we were, we, we did this ourselves, but we were fortunate enough to my wife and I uh, uh, have both agreed to run our own business and work a lot from home. Uh, and we made that happen. You know, you have to, you have to make that happen. And and so for many years, um, you know, the kids had both of us at home, which is, I think the, the best way to handle parenting, to be around the, your kids as much as possible when they're little. Um, eventually we got an office outside the house, but Cecilia stayed home and she was with the boys uh, for a number of years. Um, they always had somebody around them in the house. And I think that's so crucial to, to parenting. And you have to devote yourself. You can't just be around each other in the house fighting all the time and you know rejecting your kids or what have you. You have to be dedicated. Um, the, yeah, the, the, answer to, the answer to the part about being the best dad, if you watch the Eisen video, I mean... You know, it, it took me years to learn a lot of core things about that. Um, and the more work that I do internally, the more that it is about me. I mean, it's about me in any relationship, in any regard with respect to anything out there. And so to be the best person you can, you have to work on yourself. You're not having this agenda to be the best dad because as I explained in the video, by doing that, I was trying to be some image. You know, I, I talked this now in several videos that the more I've tried to maintain an image of some guy that I am, the worse it is because you're letting the ego activate. You're creating a persona. I got to be cool. I got to be funny. I got to be smart. It's gotten me in trouble so many times because that is not me. And it's not that I can't be funny or smart or what have you but it's coming from a different place. It's coming from a strategic plan place, right? The head ego place. And what I've learned is the more work I've done on me, the more understanding realizations of what matters, uh, the more I can be dumb and make mistakes the way I talk in my videos, the better person I can be because I'm more relaxed. I'm allowing myself to be my own genuine, authentic form of me. And it just translates. People around you will be will, will be attracted to you. You know, they'll want to be with you. Your kids will want to be around the most open, connected version of you. And they'll know when you're not. You know, they'll know, especially little ones. They'll know when you're not present. So, uh, so you got to look at yourself internally. What are my resistances? What are my agendas? What? And it takes... And also, as I've talked in my last video, you've got to give that time. Uh, I'm a firm believer, firm, firm believer in having outside help, any kind of therapy, guru, coach, what, whatever you know you want to call that, but somebody who can help you work on yourself the way that athletes have coaches. I always use that example. No athlete could function and do well. Think about it. No single athlete does not have a coach. So if that's any example, human beings, we're not capable because we have a head and ego. We're too much in ourselves to be able to look at ourselves. 
And so I believe in outside help, in good therapy that you click with and in doing it for the rest of your life, because it's not a three week or a three month thing. It's going to be you working on you the rest of your life. And that will make a difference. That will make you uh, the most real version of you. And that makes you the best husband, the best father and best content creator, whatever you want to be. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I really like the sports analogy because the first thing I thought of, it's like LeBron James has a basketball coach. He has a shooting coach. He has a defense coach, right? And this is, we're talking about like the one of the greatest basketball players in history who's still right. playing and who's right. funny enough, the exact same age as me. <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm. calls him Le old. And I'm like, oh man, I'm the, I'm the same age know. as LeBron. I, I'm, my, <laughs> my athletic prime is in my past. And I'm like, oh, I feel so bad about that. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but it's cool. I, I appreciate the perspective though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, and you, you have to wonder. You have to wonder. How could the best player in the world, you know, but but what makes him the best player in the world, right? That he's got such a support system around him that lets people from the outside course correct, help him see things he can't see, help him perfect. And I'm not saying to treat, you know, your humanity as something to make perfect. I think we do that when we try to do self-help and and have these rigorous you know, schedules and things that we do that become too rigid. Uh, But I'm talking about this constant work that almost undoes, you know, your mental processes and ego structure as much as possible because they are getting in the way of you flowing. And so um, as a starting point, the coach in sports is a good example, but then you get into this sort of being your own uh, humanness, which is, um, not about being perfect, not about getting as many shots as possible. It's about letting yourself be who you are as much as possible and as freely as possible. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it's tough because I know you're, you're mentioning the topic of ego. One of my greatest deficiencies as a man is my pride. I am someone who is extremely this extreme level of pride when it comes to anything I do. And I, for the longest time have always refused help. I want to do everything my way. I don't trust anyone else to do the job. And there's like this, this pride that I have in my work or anything that I do that always holds me back. And And I'm always sort of like in this shell, suppressing people, pushing everyone away. And in one sense, it's got me really far in life because I'm very self-reliant. I, I can, I've been generally pretty successful my whole life in all aspects. Um, and so I'm very independent, I guess you would say. However, there is this barrier that I have where it's, I find it incredibly difficult to seek external help. And this is something that I've been trying really hard to work on and not let pride and my ego get in the way. And I don't know how you feel about this, this topic, but one of the biggest breakthroughs that I made in my life was the use of psychedelic mushrooms. And I make videos from time to time on the benefits of psychedelics and how they've improved my life. And I know this is kind of like a controversial topic because in the U S we're talking about a schedule one substance, a drug, which is illegal. However, 
over here in Canada, it's much more readily accepted as sort of like a medicine. And I, I would also, I would love to get your opinion on this if, if you have one at all. But I've used psychedelics to reach this level of ego destruction or dissolving the ego. And, I, and I've got to a place where I've sort of melted those barriers around me. And now I have become a lot more open to external help and trying to build up that support system, like like you were saying before. And it's interesting because without psychedelics, I, I never would have had this transcendent experience. And what generally happens during these psychedelic experiences or, or trips is that you go through this thing called ego death and your ego completely dissolves and you have to face all of your personal biases, all your bullshit, all your prejudices, everything negative about the person who you are, and you are confronted with it and you can't escape in the moment. You can't end the trip. You, there is no um, exit here, emergency exit door that you can take. There's nothing. There's no lever you can pull. And so you are completely vulnerable in the moment. And after I did a couple of these sessions, it really gave me perspective on my life and sort of my shortcomings as, as a human being, you know, and I think this is incredibly important, especially for men, because we don't talk about this type of stuff. Usually like men usually don't talk about their feelings or their struggles or their mental health or what they're dealing with. You know, this is not something that guys generally talk about, but I think it's becoming more popular, especially with the whole self-improvement movement of trying to become the best person you are. But I think psychedelics has had like a huge positive impact on my life and in, in just breaking down the ego, breaking down those walls that I set up where I wasn't letting anyone come and help me and, and assist me in any way. And I'm just wondering, do you have any opinions um, or ideas on that, on that subject? Um, you know, I haven't gone that route ever in my life. So to me, it's a whole uh, sort of new modern topic, if you will. I know Nathan had an experience with that. It, and I know that it could be very eye-opening. It could be very cathartic in a way. Um, I'm not against it. I don't have a, an opinion for it or against it. I, I would I would caution anyone. Uh, I mean, I know it's something delicate that you need proper supervision when you're doing. Uh, and so if you know what you're doing, great. And if it's helped to crack you open and you feel like you can receive, you know, so somebody better from the outside, then I would say, uh, I'm all for it. I would say, okay, take that opportunity now and see how you could work with someone to let more in, into yourself, you know, in terms of guidance and help and support, because I think that psychedelics might open a door but like you said, you're sort of tripping, you're there with that open door, you may not know what to do with that door, you know? So in a sense, you're kind of like, you have this opportunity, but without, you know, guidance, you know, how do you consciously know what to do with this, this, this opening? So, um, and again, I speak without having had the actual experience, so I'm not sure what it provides, um, I get the opening aspect of it, but, you know, ultimately in my mind, you need to be sitting down with someone on some sort of frequency uh, or, or frequent, you know, on some sort of basis to sort of hash out 
what's inside of you one needs to be looked at and worked on you know mm-hmm. yeah that's true you know and, and also sort of i guess getting to this topic of change and self-work there's one thing that i really respect about you and your wife in particular was that you guys made this drastic change in your life like in your 50s where you have this absolutely stunning home in like a forest it looked like in Mm -hmm. in portland just amazing like immaculate beautiful home and then all of a sudden you decide to pack it up and move halfway around the world and i was like man this guy is like you got like your dream home it looks like it, it looks amazing everything is like that's like what i aspire to achieve in my life and i really respected your the decision that you guys made to just take a leap of faith and make this huge change in, in your life. And so I guess the question that I'm, I'm trying to get to is that, do you have any advice for people that are thinking about making that big leap or that, that change of scenery or you know just picking everything up that they've become accustomed to and just taking this giant leap of faith and, and trying something brand new? Do you have any advice for people that are considering doing something like that? Um, you know, I think it, it, it goes back to awareness around anything, you know, having this sort of consciousness around it. If you keep that idea alive, which we did for a good, it probably took a couple of years and, and as we let it build, build up into this sort of intensity of eventually going to Portugal, really liking what we saw coming back, deciding to put the house on the market. Uh, you got to let that be a process. And if you're really ready for it, if you're really, if you're going to be committed to really doing it, that awareness, that conversation, that openness to it will lead you to actually saying, okay, honey, let's do whatever it takes to make it happen, right? Um, I, you also need to feel really done with something before you can move on. You have to have that sort of consciousness around, you know, this is feeling done. This isn't working. The the boys left the country. I talk about that in my leaving the U.S. video. You know, the house is beautiful, but it's it's kind of a golden cage. You know, it's like we don't love where we live. We don't have access to the things uh, we want. Uh, We don't have friends and family here. It's a gorgeous house, but is the house going to decide our lives, you know, is this, does it mean everything? No, it doesn't mean everything. And so, um, you know, it also presented this incredible opportunity to say, well, you know, after almost a decade, if we sold it, the market is hot, we can make a lot of money, we can exit out of the US and have money to play with. And it just became by letting go of that one main big attachment, it gave us opportunities to play with life and do things that we were ready to do. So you kind of have to be ready, committed to the change. You have to let it sort of simmer for a while. It might take you a while to convince each other to really make that decision to take the leap. And then you just, and then it becomes natural to take the, the necessary steps. Then you're like, okay, I'll do the hard work to put the house on the market, get rid of stuff, ship stuff. It was all a pain in the ass. I mean, we had a lot to worry about, but it was this beginning of an adventure. You know, at that point we were in it. 
uh, met some lovely people. It was an exhausting but fun process. And then there we were landing in Paris. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's good that we didn't know all the things that were ahead. I, I always say, if you know what's coming up and how it's going to unfold, we would do a lot less, you know. Um, but, you know, we had to go through Portugal. We had to deal with coming back to the U.S., do paperwork, go to Mexico. You know, everything that, I, that I've documented was all hard tiring, achy, expensive, hopping around to then change your mind and say, we're going to France to get here and it's winter and we can't find a property. You know, if you look at a script of it, you're like, why on earth would you do this? But you go in with this open intention and as you let things unfold, it's fine. It's just, um, again, you can't know too much and it's good that we don't know too much because that would keep us from doing, you know? Mm, yeah, that unknown, that, that sort of holds a lot of people back. I feel like most people, they wanna know what they're walking into, what they're stepping into. But the, the move that you guys made, it's like, it doesn't matter how much you prepare or how much research you do, it's, it's such a massive unknown. And when I was watching your videos and following the journey, I don't, I was, I had this level of anxiety that I've never really had before because I'm not a very anxious person. I don't struggle too much with anxiety at all. But when you're yeah. going through the moving process and you have to get like paperwork for for the dog and you had to get like the moving truck and there's all these boxes everywhere. I was like, oh my gosh, this video is like anxiety ridden. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm having, I'm struggling watching this because you know, yeah. I've I've been someone who who's been moving around a lot recently, and I can I can totally relate to that sentiment. But you were moving countries, like countries where they speak different languages, where you need different I don't know documentation or passports or visas or I I don't even know what where to start with with this type of stuff. And I used to complain just moving cities in Canada, and you're you're moving like all to completely different countries in, in a different continent. And I thought it was wild. And it was, it was really interesting because most people who normally do this type of thing are a lot younger. Maybe they're trying to like experiment in life. They don't have, they haven't settled down. And I really like this description that you had of a golden cage of what, what you felt like your property was like. And I, I found that, wow, that's like, such an interesting like analogy to make where you have this beautiful home, this property, this forever house in this like perfect location, but the kids are gone and, and you don't absolutely love where you are. And maybe now it's time to make a, a big move. But I feel like a lot of people would get that paralysis by analysis or whatever analysis by paralysis or whatever the saying is, and that they'd probably be too afraid to overcome that initial resistance and make that huge change in their life. And so that's something that I I find very refreshing about your videos. It's like this wild journey that you're on. And I'm always wondering like, where is it leading to? Where is it leading to next? Is there somewhere after France or, or is this the final destination? You know, for now, France is it. <laughs> okay. I said that in a video, you know, for, for now, I mean, Look, you know, it, it, we don't know and we want to leave things 
open in our minds. You know, we want to settle. We, we, we want to settle into a future home and plant ourselves, get our lives back in terms of a routine. We're really craving that. And, but, you know, I asked me in five years, 10 years, I don't, I don't know what we might want to do, but that's kind of the fun of it. It's opened up uh, sort of a mindset of, you know, let's not lock ourselves into anything, uh, you know, because we don't know, we don't know. And there's fun to be had. Now, as you get older, it gets more difficult. I would imagine we're going to find a home base and probably stay there, but it doesn't negate now being in Europe, being able to go to other countries and maybe, maybe eventually getting, uh, we want to get a place in Paris, a small place so we can hop back and forth. Uh, if we're able to, if the finances work out, uh, but beyond that, yeah, I don't know what the plans are. It's just, um, I, I want to remain as unpredictable as possible for myself, for us, for my stories, you know, it's been quite a journey. And, and I think once, once you crack that lid open and you allow for this kind of crazy stuff to happen. And, and again, it's not like we're trying to be crazy all the time. We want to settle. Uh, but you know, you could still then have adventures. I mean, you can define what adventure means to you and how you're going to, you know, sort of, uh, consume the world, take it in for us. It's travel. We want to do a lot of travel once we settle in. So. That's awesome. Do um do you and your wife speak French? We uh yes and no. <laughs> uh, we're 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 studying it. So I could say that now we're able to somehow on a very basic level communicate. Uh we know way more than we're able to uh execute, if you will. So, you know, we're on the apps, we're on chat GPT is amazing for learning learning language, by the way. Uh so just you do using tools to learn. Um, and, um, it, you know, committed to becoming proficient. So it's been, I would say six months of learning and it's going to take, you know, it's going to take a couple of years to get good enough. If we're both bilingual, we have Spanish to help us in the process of learning French, which helps to some degree. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's a matter of time. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. The learning different languages is, is so cool. In, in Canada, French is our second language and I am abysmal at it. I am absolutely terrible. Mm. And mm. when I moved to this new house last year, I moved purposely within walking distance from a French immersion school as I want my daughter and my son to be completely fluent in French and embrace a second language that I sort of regret not taking because in Canada, all of our signs and everything's in English and French, right? Like when you exit the highway, it says exit sortie. And I was, for whatever reason, I hated other languages. I didn't enjoy learning French, but now I regret that later in life. I regret that I only know English because my wife is bilingual, sort of like my parents, but all I know is English and it, it kind of, sucks right and i think that was maybe one of the reasons why i was initially drawn to nathan's channel where he talked about learning italian in like seven days or something like that which i thought was crazy because yeah. um my dad is half italian so i can totally relate to that and so the french thing is i think it's it's super cool because just being able to 
move to another country with a whole different culture and a whole different language, like if you know any French at all, you you have such like a, a better time of assimilating to, to that culture or, or that society. I think that's like, that's so cool. And I, I'm probably not brave enough to ever make like a change that drastic in, in my life. I'd probably be too afraid. And I would have these thoughts in my mind, like, Oh, I can't move to France. I, I don't know any of the, the language or, or any of the culture or any, any of the traditions. And I think that resistance would probably come up in my life. However, I want to give that opportunity to, for my kids that hopefully if they learn French, maybe it'll help them get into a different language. As I've heard, if you know, if you're bilingual, it's easier to learn a third language. Is that true? Um, you know, I mean, it, it, I think it depends on which languages, you know, because if you have what, if you know, one of the romance languages like Spanish, it leads into Italian, Portuguese, French a lot more easily. Um, I think you're, see, I learned both languages when I was a kid, you know, I, I was raised speaking Spanish and then came to the U S or went to the U S at this point. Um, when I was 11, so I absorbed English. And so it was all like when I was young, I think if you master language as an adult, it probably does open the door to you as an adult, you know, knowing how to pick up yet another language. Um, so it's kind of what happened with Nathan. He, uh, you know, he learned English, obviously, then he learned, he knew Spanish from growing up with us then went to Argentina and became fluent. Um, between those two languages, he had gone to France for, for, uh, for a year um, uh, in high school and learned French. And so it's like, it, beca it became progressively easier for him to learn languages. Um, I think when you're younger, it's a little easier, but I think that if you, as an adult, if you were to learn French, and uh, got into that mindset of absorbing the language and finding tools and ways that work best for you, then I think a third language would be um, easier or, or, or not hard for you, you know? But, but you have to now at your age overcome those kind of mental constructs like we are for, you know, absorbing a new language. And it, 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 it takes repetition. It takes, it takes understanding how you learn best. Mm, true. Yeah, it's interesting. It's just something that because I would love to travel more in the future. Hopefully, like when the career maybe gets a little bit more successful, or maybe I can quit my day job, which I'm I've been dreaming about for many years. <laughs> but is there maybe aside from France, is there a favorite or best country um, that you visited? Um. Uh, that's, you know, for, for me, I could tell you as a visitor what I've enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed Ecuador a oh, lot. Oh, really? Quito in, in particular, that's where we were filming years ago, that trip that I talked about uh, in my latest video. Uh, I thought that's the beautiful city, the modern side, the historic side, the food, the people. Now, I don't know what it would be like to live there, right? It's one thing to visit. It's another to, to live in a place. Iceland was exceptional. I don't think I could live there, but it's a lovely country. So from the impact of the nature and, and visiting, um, you know, 
look at us. We thought Portugal was going to be a good fit and we had to live there and experience it to know that energetically it wasn't right for us until we came to France and realized that this was a great fit. So, um, you know, ultimately you have to visit places, you have to feel them, you have to go, could I learn their language? You know, how good is their food to me? How do I like different aspects of this culture that it becomes enough connecting points that you say, yeah, that's somewhere that I want to, to you know, fit in and assimilate and what have you. But, um, you know, I, where have you been? What countries have you been that have maybe resonated for you? So I've traveled pretty frequently. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky because my parents took me all over the place. So I, I grew up in Bermuda um, on an island as, as a kid. And I came to Canada when I was, how old are you when you go into kindergarten? Five, four or five? Yeah. So anyways, so I grew like up that. on on an island. My, my younger brother was born in Bermuda. And we sort of grew up in Canada by Toronto. And I've been to... I've been all over Europe, some parts of Asia, the Caribbean, but never to South America. Maybe that's why the Ecuador um, mention was, I found super interesting. But also I have like all people, you have like a bias towards your home nation. And of course, like when I went to Austria and Italy, where my dad is from, I absolutely loved it there. It was super nice. Uh, Austria is a strange, strange country. It's sort of like a touristy type country where they have laws where you have to have flowers on all of your windowsills. So like oh. the homes are like beautiful. There's like flowers everywhere. And I was like, well, what is all this? And my dad's like, oh, you know, it's part of like the, the not the tourism type of thing. They, they want to have this like appealing, beautiful nature um, in this country. So I, I found Austria um, really, really nice. And then also from my mom's side, when I went to visit Japan a couple of years ago, that was like eye opening. I have never seen a country as unique as Japan. Everything they do there, it's so, it's so different. Like everything is so different. Even like a restaurant, you go to a restaurant, like to have a meal, there's no server servers. There's no server staff to like, oh, here's your table. I'm your waitress. Would you like uh, something to drink? Here's a menu. There's none of that. There's a vending machine outside the front door and you pay for your meal and it spits out all these little tickets. So it's like, oh, I want this rice, a double meat, this sauce. And it spits out these little paper square things. And then you go inside and you put it on this counter where it's a strange like door that sort of opens up. And then you just like put the tickets there and then a hand comes and it takes it. Oh, and then I, it go, I guess it goes to like the, the chef, right? And so it's, it's very strange. There's like no interaction with people. And I guess they just make your food. That little door will open up and then bam, your, your food kind of comes out. But it's also very efficient because you're only paying the people in the kitchen making the food, right? So your overhead is not as high. And even like if you want to rent a a bicycle, this thing comes out of the ground. And like, it's, it's such a bizarre, <laughs> like bizarre country. Like everything there is so futuristic and so yeah. different. And so I, I wonder sometimes, is that like my personal bias because of where my mom is from? And I don't know, it, it's, it's interesting because I think about this sort of question all the time, travel. 
like if I could leave Canada, like where would I move to? Would I move to Europe? Would I explore South America? Would I go to Asia somewhere? Like I have, I have no idea, but I find the exercise of going through that thought really exhilarating and, and a lot of fun. So that's why when I see you and your wife make this like massive leap, I'm like, man, you guys did it. That's, that's so cool. Like, I can't believe <laughs> like you've just got up, sold all your stuff and like flown all the way across the world. And I think this is why your channel sort of blew up, I guess you could say, is that there is this authenticity, this uniqueness that is unique to you guys. Like no one is, no one that I've really seen creates content kind of like this. And I find it incredibly refreshing. Um, and, and I just, I just, I love like the, the mystery. I'm like, okay, where are you? What's going to happen next? Like, I remember that one video, you lost your passport and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is like yeah. craziness, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm episodic in that in, in that way. I like episodes of, of our lives and um, I, like, I like cliffhangers because life is not always resolved. And so it just kind of has that it ends, but it doesn't really. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's 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 how it's been. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting out there and it's uh, or we've gotten we've gotten out there and, and it's evolved in its own interesting ways and i'm glad it's i'm really glad that it's resonated with people it's been it's been quite a thing to get that kind of response back from from uh, viewers so mm -hmm. yeah that, that must be awesome right it's like such a nice feeling when you get those super engaging positive comments but speaking of youtube what is like what's the best type of advice that you would give someone who is thinking about starting a youtube channel you know, it would be what I said before. I mean, if you're going to do something, do something that you love, that you're passionate about. And I know this has become cliched a little bit, but if you're not doing it for that reason, to be as authentic and um, true to yourself as you can be, then you're playing somebody else's game and... Um, you know that 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 doesn't that doesn't last. That doesn't have longevity. You know, um, if you're gonna play the game, then just know that you're playing the game. You know, if you're gonna just do it for shock value, for views, what have you, then that's your choice. Uh, but you have to enjoy doing that. You have to. It has to be something that is meaningful to you in some way. Uh, and so the other thing is that you have to just try not to have expectations. I mean, it's really hard as human beings. It's hard not to have expectations, but try to let it be its own thing and to flourish in any way that it's going to. What happened to me, I couldn't have predicted. I couldn't have predicted a year and a half later, the size of the channel, the views, the, the resonating with people. You just, you don't know. It's a big unknown. You can only do you the best you can. And if it clicks, great. If not, you have to learn to live with that. Um, and again, I mentioned before, I go video to video. I don't know how the next one's going to do. I don't know if I can make a living from this continually. I'll, it, it's been an amazing ride. I'll take it as long as it's working. But I need to also be aware that it may not be for years to come. And, and that has to be okay. A lot of this not controlling reality, if it's not panning out the way you want, has to be okay. You have to 
somehow make friends with it, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I get this question all the time. People always are like, hey, Derek, I'm thinking about starting a YouTube channel or I want to create a YouTube channel or I'm going to start one next month. And I'm always like, man, if, if this is something that you really want to do, like you just got to do it. That that very first video you make is is always the hardest because there's all this negative thoughts in your mind. There's all this like confusion. There's all this doubt where you're doubting yourself. Like, is anyone going to watch this? Is anyone even going to care? And yeah. I feel like there's so many people out there that want to create a YouTube video, but all these negative thoughts just hold them back. And so I also kind of echo that same sentiment that you just said, like, do something that you love, show your authentic self, because then it's not going to feel like a job. Or it's not going to feel like work. And I know too many people that create a YouTube video because they want to make Google AdSense. They want to get brand deals. They want to get sponsors. They want to make passive income. And so I feel like those people are getting into it for the wrong reason, because our journeys, especially yours and mine, are are very, very different. They're, they're almost like polar opposites. And you can go through ex long periods of time where you are getting no views analytically in the algorithm or whatever you, you want to call it. Where my channel, for example, I started posting consistently in June of 2019. So next month, we're going, we're going to approach the four-year anniversary of my channel. And I got 4,000 subscribers. And so I asked people like, look, I put in 30 to 35 hours a week, every week into this thing that I love to do. And I've made only 4,000 subscribers in four years. And to a lot of people that will seem like failure, right? Like people are like, why are you wasting your time on this stupid thing? You're spending all this time making videos and doing podcasts and doing live streams for what? 4,000 subscribers, that's it? You're making like a dollar, $2 a day in Google AdSense. But I'm like, you need to look at it from a different lens. For me, this conversation we're having, this is play. This is fun. Like I'm engaged. I love it. This is like enjoyable for me, right? This is the passion that I have for this content creation stuff. So it's easy for me to keep going into year four, five, six, when, you know, the views aren't as high as I would like them to be, for example. But if you enter content creation with the right mindset, I think it's easily one of the best decisions that I've ever made. And I'm sure you can relate to this. Like just, I, I'm so thankful today that I started my channel when it, when I did, because this made me such a better person. And I, and I just absolutely love the whole journey up until this point. It, it's incredible. Yeah. 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 I agree with everything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, look at your smile. You know, you, you are enjoying <laughs> what you're doing. It's still fun, you know, and, and, and as long as you keep that alive, that makes all the difference. Um, uh, and when it doesn't, you'll find something that nourishes you, you know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. That's the important thing to keep in mind, do something that's nourishing you. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't know the future of beneath the surface, but I have to keep an open mind of what that could be or couldn't be, or, or, you know, it, it, it just, keeping sort of that open-mindedness around letting it evolve the way that it's going to. Um, I've talked before about things having sort of a shelf life, they expire and you have to be at peace when something is done and you know it and it's time to move on. So for now it's working for now, it's been, you know, a, a good ride. 
Uh, as long as I have something that I want to say that is satisfying to me, right? Because uh, that's where it starts, then then I'll keep it going, you know? Do you have any other future plans or side projects uh, in the works? Like maybe a newsletter, a book, podcast, anything like that? I don't. I don't. I, you know, with all the hopping around and administrative stuff and and just our lives the way that they've been for the past year, it's enough to try to pump out a, uh, a video a month, you know, at this point. So I thought briefly about a book. Um, we thought we have, we've had different ideas for different products and things we could do together maybe, uh, but nothing that I can really put my attention on at this point. And I don't want to get to the point where it's just so overloaded and I'm doing so much that I'm not enjoying it. So I do live that way. I, 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 I've actually been like that always. It's if it's too much and it's your head is cluttered and you have so many responsibilities that it stops being fun in that sense, then I don't want it, you know? So there are ideas, nothing yet to be implemented or released certainly, but stuff that we'll explore, you know, as time goes on. Mm. Yeah, because the business side of YouTube is, is something that I'm also passionate about. Um, I love just, business in general it's another like something it's another spark that i have in, inside of me yeah. but yeah. i also struggle with this concept of balancing out diversifying your work and doing what you love because especially with youtube like your channel could it could take a hit one day maybe it's not making enough income to live the type of lifestyle you're living and so right. general advice is to diversify right? Maybe have like a newsletter, maybe create an online course that can bring income, you know, have like a bunch of different digital products. However, I struggle with that because like, I, I also want to keep it enjoyable at the same time. I don't want to just be forced to diversify myself and spread myself too thin over too many mediums. So like, for example, I have the main channel, I have this podcast, I have a I have a third like tiny YouTube channel where I make like these quick two minute videos with no editing at all. I have a newsletter and I would also love to do like a book or a course someday. But then also it's like people tell me, oh, post your stuff on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, like uh, no. it's, it's exhausting. It really is. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. Do you do you struggle with that? Like being on all the platforms at once or trying to diversify I, yourself too thin? I only announced my video on Instagram, LinkedIn. Instagram will publish to Facebook. Uh, like I say, for two, three days, I do engagement. I find it just uh, just so energy draining, you know, <laughs> to, to keep up with all that. I do photography <laughs> and I used to post more of that on Instagram, but it's, it's you know, I'm also older. I'm not... Uh, you know, like, you know, younger people who are just able to or want to do this all the time. I don't know how effective it is in the end, but yeah, you can expose yourself constantly and, and go nuts. I don't want my life to be about that, you know? So, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's not a lot of work around social media. I would not touch TikTok. I don't care for stories. Uh, it's my stuff is slow cooked video content you know what i mean it's, it's like i do one video a month and that's just how it is it's just what how i prefer to do it you know and and i did a course that went out recently on collaborative trip planning that's on bright trip 
that that's out there and some people have enjoyed it uh but that took but that that happened pretty much before the channel started overlapping a little bit it took a lot of work i don't know if i have the energy for another course in the future but it's it's again it's about what you love and what you're willing to put hours and hours into and for me it's it's my monthly videos are where the focus is and and you know hoping every month that enough people will you know watch them and enjoy them so how do um how do how do your peers feel about your channel like brothers sisters cousins wife like people your age how do they feel about uh your your youtube channel I don't know how much my family watches my stuff, to be honest. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, my parents, my sister, I'm not sure that they really watch this stuff. I don't talk to a lot of old friends. It's been, I'm very nu nuclear in that sense with my wife and kids in our world. Um, I think I've surprised some friends from high school and college with having a channel. A couple responded, oh, you have sponsors now. <laughs> And I, Athletic I think that bothers them a little bit. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry if it bothers you, but um, you know, surprisingly, it's not this kind of like feedback, like old friends showing up to say, "Hey, oh, look at what you're doing." I, I think some people are probably watching and not commenting, but it's been pretty self-contained. It's been just, you know, what you see in comments on YouTube or Instagram. Um, you know, people around the world who. You know, a lot in the U.S. obviously who are having similar plans, who are in the same age group. Um, so yeah, as far as my circle, there's not like any kind of um, what I also would think would be more feedback from people I know. You know, but it just hasn't happened that way. It's just it's been mostly strangers who, you know, who are more interested in what I'm doing. Okay, that's that's amazing. I've actually yeah. had a completely different experience. I've Oh man, I've got um too much feedback from my peers, ah. mostly and even my parents too. Uh I which is mostly negative feedback is is what I've uh I've unfortunately received, which is kind of weird because I generally talk about like self-improvement type topics, like ideas that can help people's lives, removing your addiction. So like I'm generally coming from a place of positivity, right? But it's interesting because I, I receive a lot of feedback talking about like, why do you share these stories about doing drugs and gambling away money? And why do you show all these stupid morning routine stuff you do? And you're too opinionated, wow. right? So I get this like kind of um, negative response from my work, uh, which, which kind of sucks because there's been times where my parents have called me up and they voice their opinion and concerns like, hey, I didn't like what you said in this video. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah, so it's um, it's tough, but I have a really good relationship with my parents. So, um, so yeah, so, but, but, but it's okay. It's, it's just an interesting experience that. Uh, that I, I've worried about that before. <laughs> like, you know, are people, any family member, is anyone going to see something they don't like? Um, in a way, it's good that they're not watching, I guess, or chiming in too heavily. There's a way that I want them to in a way that it's kind of cool that they're not. Um, but, uh, you know, a stranger and talking about these sort of negative comments, this guy was semi-negative. He told me to tone it down. He saw my last video and, and he was like saying, you're likable. We love you, Josh, but 
tone it down, man. And all in caps. Tone it I'm down. Like, tone down my sharing of my personal life. And, and, and <laughs> I got, I got deep into some stuff in my latest video. And I'm like, do you think for a moment that, and I don't interact, I don't engage with these people. I, I have tried in the past, but I don't do it anymore. Um, it's like, do you think that that comment is going to make me stop what I'm doing? I mean, this is, this is the juice. This is the richness of my life, you know? But, you know, again, it, 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 you're triggering people, not always in the way you want. And that's okay. He left a comment. He, he uh, stimulated the algorithm. And in some way, in the end, I have to be thankful, you know? So, but people telling you to tone it down. I don't know what your family and friends are saying, but it's like, <laughs> You you realize that it's their triggers, it's their discomfort. You still yeah. get to say what you want, you know. I mean, that's how it is. Hey, well so I said. hope it's not stopping you in any way. No, it's not. It's not. But uh, that that's funny. Hey, uh, Josh, let's uh, wrap this up. This was a, an awesome, awesome conversation. Um, let's tell the people who's listening, watching this, uh, where people can find your work. Well, if you, I think if you search on beneath the surface on YouTube, you tend to see something of mine relatively at the top because it was a movie, apparently a bad shark movie. Really? Uh, called Beneath the Surface. You're going to run into that inevitably. But um, yeah, if you see a photo of me looking down at my camera, uh, that's the little icon. And then if you do the same, I, I believe if you go to Instagram, um, you, you can see some of my photography there. Typically what I end up doing is promoting my YouTube videos. So you might as well just head over to YouTube and that's where my main stuff is anyway. So that's the way to find me. Okay, perfect. Awesome. All right, I'll leave um, links in the description down below to Josh's work. Once again, that's Beneath the Surface on YouTube. Highly recommend his channel. Amazing cinematography, storytelling, visuals, B-roll, just super, super high quality videos that I, I couldn't recommend more and extremely happy that your channel is growing. So everyone, everyone check it out in the description. And thanks again, Josh, for uh, being on the Thank podcast. Thank you so much, Derek. It was awesome. Appreciate it. All right. Cool. All right, guys. See ya. Peace. Peace.